Salutations and shit, folks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of your favorite travel podcast, Travel and Shit, where I, your host, D. Carry up an experiential conversation about the nuanced ways that travel intersects with regular life. Y'all, it is blazing hip hop and R&B. It is so hot. Um, so I feel as if this is the perfect time to do a recap episode, um, taking care of self. Um, and it actually kind of falls in line with what the tone of the rest of the year will look like. So everything fell into place quite nicely for this. Um, I was talking with my partner, um, a little while ago, about a lot of the work that I had done in the past. And I was really thinking back to some of the different people that I've been able to work with and just the different iterations of creativity I have expressed myself through over the years. And I have got to say that I am so proud of a lot of the work that I've done. And um, it got me to wanting to do a bit more of a deep dive and a review. So what I decided to do was take a look back at how September's have traditionally looked for me over the years. I mentioned in a past episode how this time of year generally has a sense of newness for me. This year, I'm actually really excited for fall. Um, I just celebrated my birthday last month. Fall is starting and I am really wrapping up a really dope summer of music. I have another concert coming up and we've got a really great um, staycation in the city coming up. Um, look forward to a addition and an update to the itinerary pack. Um, but I sell that to say that I have been spending some time really thinking about what I want the next year to look like. And I am focusing my attention in creating and developing um, systems, uh, putting certain things in place so that I can better facilitate growth going forward. That being the case, I really felt that it was appropriate to reflect on all of the stuff that I've already done. Um, and by all I meant, let's keep it simple. So I reached back into travel and shit um, past dossier, dossier, um, and looked at the episodes that I had done in the beginning of September, this general era of the past few years. We're coming up on five years. I have no clue what the celebration is going to look like, but I've got about a week to comfortably put that together because five years is the beginning of October. So would love to hear what you guys' suggestions are for a celebration of five years. So shoot me an email, D Carrie, D C A R R I E at travelandshitpodcast.com. That's T R A V E L, the letter N S H I T P O D C A S T dot com. That is my email address. Please shoot me an email. I would love to hear your um, ideas and designs over celebrating five years. Um, so this episode is going to be a cute little combination of three of my favorite episodes from September's over the years past. Uh, we started in October of 2018. So the first episode is back in 2019. Um, 
my favorite movie happens to be The Wiz. And so I dedicated an episode to, I guess, an iteration or a retelling of some of my past, I won't say a retelling, but um, I did a really good job of explaining it when I introed the episode. So I'll just let myself, I'll let past me do the talking for now me. Um, but that was really, really good fucking episode. And it was the 50th episode. I'd only done 50 episodes. I'm so proud of that episode. I had such a good time listening back. Um, and I'm proud of the way that turned out. I also had some of my most favorite guests in September, uh, two being Inca Cresswell and Martinique, um, almost called her Martinique San Diego, um, Marty San, San Diego, as she is affectionate, affectionately known in the social media streets, um, who has since gotten a Nat Geo show, um, and really gone and done so much with her book, ABC, which stands for all black content, but all ABC, um, travel green book. And it is, um, my absolute pleasure to have interacted with everybody that I've spoken to over the almost five years of travel and shit. And just peeking into September's during, um, this time of year that seems to traditionally be like a, all right, what's next? A, we've done some great, there's still more to come. There's still some time for growth and development. This time of year generally gives that energy for me. And in looking back, the episodes reflect that. So I hope that you can get that energy. I hope that you guys can look back and be as proud of the work that I've done as I am. And I hope that you enjoy the little clips um, from last, not just last year. It's actually, I didn't include last year's episode. I included years prior. Um, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. And speaking of favorite episodes, my favorite September episodes, I want to know what your favorite episodes are. In an email, again, dcarry at travelandshitpodcast.com. Let me know what your favorite travel and shit episodes are. I'm really curious. If you had to recommend an episode for someone who's never heard the podcast to listen to, what is the first episode that comes to mind? Let me know what that is. Whether you know the episode or not, whether you know the number or the title, what is it about the episode that I was talking about? And I will do the backtracking of figuring out what episode that was. Let's work together on this one. But I'm really curious what your favorite episodes of travel and shit have been. So shoot me an email. What do you want to do for five years? And what have your favorite episodes been? I would love to hear from you guys. Um, you guys have been a really big part of the journey thus far, and I want you to continue enjoying the ride with me. So looking forward to, looking forward to your feedback. And I hope you guys enjoy this, uh, I guess, dive back into some past conversations we have had around my birthday every year i have this tradition of watching the wiz it's my favorite movie and the soundtrack bangs i don't give a fuck what anybody says the shit goes hard and it's actually my own kind of i guess you can say personal um rocky soundtrack when i'm feeling blue or if i'm looking for um motivation inspiration all that great shit i will actually play the soundtrack to the whiz and um i just enjoy watching it i have never been here for the wizard of oz 
even as a kid, I could never get into it. I initially thought that The Wiz was the original. And then like The Wizard of Oz came like, oh, like in black and white after the color version. Right. I know it was a little foolish, but, you know, The Wiz is just substantially a more superior movie. And of course, the soundtrack is better. All, all the things we could we could do this longer than necessary. But say all that to say this week, I am um going to be. I guess giving you guys a rundown or a comparison, if you will, of different travels that I've had and experiences that I've had based on the personas of not necessarily the personas, but the characters from the Wiz. So Dorothy was the one that um, was looking to get back home. She was homesick. Scarecrow was looking for a brain. Tin Man wanted a heart and the lion wanted courage. So boom, boom, boom. I'm going to tell you the oh wait i hope this isn't a spoiler so essentially the movie is a i don't want to say a testament but for example you meet each character and then you're told about what it is they wanted to get from the whiz dorothy wanted the whiz to send her home um scarecrow wanted a brain timmy wanted a heart lion wanted courage but as the movie progresses you see all these well not see but you are I guess, experiencing all these opportunities where each of the character proves that what they are going to see the Wiz for are characteristics that they always, they already possess. So by the time the movie ends, you're like, oh shit. So we've been had all this shit. We've been good. We could have done all this before and we didn't have to go through the Wiz. So I guess also it's one of those things where it's just like the journey is more so than the end result. So, um, yeah, so, so many themes and shit to the movie. However, I'm basically going to, um, I guess you can say a versus kind of thing. So what they were looking for versus not what they were looking for, but yeah. So an experience of what they were looking for versus, um, shit, what they already had. So let me get into it and then it'll make sense. Right. All right. So Dorothy. She was trying, she was homesick. That was her whole thing. She wanted to get home. So the way I figured I would break it down was when was I ready to come home the quickest? And then when did I feel most at home or like where in what location did I feel most at home? So for me, I think that I was probably ready to come home the fastest when I was in Thailand. I feel like that's been like the forgotten trip. I legit can't remember shit that I did in Thailand. All I remember was, well, not all the things. I do remember um, you know, the beach was a disappointment. At least the beach I went to. I was at Karam Beach, total trash. Um, literally trash everywhere. I did, you know, um a day of like sightseeing to go other places and stuff like that. But there's nothing really except for my experience at Big Buddha. I feel like well, the temples were cool, but yeah, I feel like Thailand was probably the one trip that I could say I might've been just ready to come home from. I don't remember feeling like, oh my God, I could stay here so much longer and I love it so much. And then I would honestly say, I know y'all have heard me say that Cuba and Colombia have been my absolute favorite vacations. Those have been my favorite destinations. But contrary to that, I felt most at home actually in Peru. I stayed in Miraflores and also in Shanghai. 
those two destinations in particular didn't feel like I was on vacation. Like when I was, except for the people staring at me in Shanghai. Um, other than that, I, it just really felt like I was in Flushing. And then in Miraflores just felt like I was in say, um, what part is it? Uh, maybe not Astoria, I think. I'd say maybe Astoria. Miraflores kind of felt like Astoria to me. It just felt like Queens. So, well, both places felt like different. I live in Queens. So both places just felt like different areas of Queens. And it wasn't that I felt, ooh, plot twist. So maybe those places felt most at home because even at home, I kind of have a sense of like not belonging. Like you don't feel like you um, are accepted. I Well, I, because I can only speak for myself, I don't necessarily feel like I'm accepted everywhere that I go home. So it's like, you know, you can go to like a store or you go to an event or say you have like, you know, your United Nations group of friends. You got one clique that's got a little bit of everybody. You got an Italian chick, you got an Asian guy, you have a, um, a guy from Mexico that's in the crew. You've got another girl that's from, you know, say, I don't know, Australia. You just got a whole great diverse mix of friends. And so you go to one of their events or you go to like a family outing or something because that's your homie. And then you just realize the way their family is treating you or their other friends that aren't in the same clique as you and that friend together are kind of making you realize how other you actually are. So things like that, when you are on home soil, if you were, there are many reminders uh, for me that I experienced that I don't necessarily feel like I belong in a lot of the different, um, I guess, climates and environments that I have to be in while I'm home dissimilarly is dissimilarly a word but contrary to that point when i was in say cuba and colombia i didn't feel like i stood out i didn't feel like i had to do that much work to blend in and that was mostly um could be contributed to my blackness i felt like i was able to easily blend into whatever black um demographic was there as long as I kept my mouth shut because I don't speak Spanish I understand it a little bit better than I can speak it but um yeah you, you can't walk up to me and just start going and then I go with it and am able to respond that ain't how it works but yeah so I think that possibly Miraflores and Shanghai felt most like home because there was an element of still not completely belonging while still looking and feeling like the spaces that I'm in at home. Hmm, That's quite interesting. And I feel like that kind of goes back to a a couple of the conversations that I'd had with prior guests about um you know their experience of blackness abroad as well and whether or not they felt like they fit in or if they felt like they stood out so that's an interesting uh topic i'll probably pick it up at another point with someone else but yeah so i definitely didn't feel like i was really on vacation in 
at those destinations. Well, in those destinations or at those destinations? I think it'd be at those destinations. All right, so that's Dorothy. So Scarecrow, he was looking for a brain. I think the dumbest shit I've ever done on vacation, the first thing that came to mind was when I let that nigga from Cuba stay at the house that I was staying at. The way that, first of all, go back to episode four and listen to that one. You're welcome. It's a good time. (laughs) But in hindsight, that's gotta be the dumbest shit that I have done while I was abroad. Hi, I'm Martinique Lewis. Thank you so much for having me, uh, affectionately known as Marty San Diego across all social media platforms. And I am a diversity and travel consultant, the creative lead of Nomadness Travel Tribe, the first black travel movement to start in America. I'm the president of the Black Travel Alliance. And now I can add the creator of the ABC Travel Green Book, the reason why we are here. Uh, But that's me. That's who I am. I am in love with all things travel, specifically black travel. But I go hard every day for diversity in travel in general. Okay, pitch. (laughs) That's what I got to work on. I got to work on just being able to say it all cohesively, (laughs) cleanly, to the point, and just so marvelously. So, Marty, thank you so much for sitting with me. I really appreciate you um, having this conversation with me. I absolutely wanted to say congratulations on your book. Thank you. I absolutely understand how much of a, what's the word? A, a labor of love it is to create a project. And um, it's, I, I respect the game Thank Bucket, you. Uh, in, in a nutshell. So what exactly is the ABC Travel? It's the ABC Travel Green Book, right? Right. Okay, go ahead and explain what that is. Um, yeah, so the ABC Travel Green Book is a, a, a travel guide, right? So if people say, why does it sound so familiar? It's because there was a Negro Motors Green Book that was created by Victor Hugo Green in 1936. And it lasted from the 1930s to the 1960s. And during that time in America, we know to be a Black person trying to travel was not a necessarily good thing. We didn't know where we could stop and be welcome. We didn't know where we could stop in a town where we wouldn't be, you know, chased mm-hmm. out of there or even losing our life. Exactly. Sundown towns. And so he created this book as a guide to let African-American travelers know where they could go, where they were welcome and where they weren't welcome. And it literally kept us all safe. It kept our grandparents safe. You know, in some people's cases, it kept their parents safe. I remember my mom telling me when she was younger, they could not stop driving from California to Texas. And I was like, huh? And I'm like, but mom, you're not even that old. So we're not that far removed from, you know, Um, but taking a page out of his book, I decided to do the same concept, except I wanted to make it an international, international book now, because there's so many black people everywhere you go, no matter where you go, you just don't necessarily know that they're there. So I was Mm -hmm. using it as a guidebook to identify, you know, these travel communities, these black owned businesses, um, black communities for expats. So you know, you know, what's there before you go and so I created the ABC travel green book now people are like oh it's like ABC because of you're you're listing things from A to Z and I'm like yes it is but it also stands for all black content travel network so a lot of people like don't know people like you should start saying that more and I'm like oh okay so that's really what ABC stands for um but yeah like I said it's a travel guide that takes you to six out of seven continents because don't nobody live in Antarctica <laughs> why is it even a continent I don't know but it lets you know and identify those communities and those businesses you know especially after Blackout Tuesday when everybody 
posted their black squares and Black Lives Matter, we gonna amplify black voices? Yeah, well how? Especially if you're in the right. travel industry, how are you doing this? So this allows them now to not be phony and say they're gonna do something because I did the work for them. So now they can find these things that they should include, you know, in the travel publications, on their social media, you know, uh, on their podcast, within their travel itineraries when they send press out to write about destinations. So right. I'm very, very excited about it. There's nothing like this that has ever been put out before. You know, I can tell you things Google can't. You know, I can I can help identify things that you never would have known before that Wikipedia can't tell you. So I am the search engine with the with the abc travel green book so what was your process is it are, have, are these actually places that you've been uh yourself or have you used other people's input or influence uh what was your so, process? i say 95 percent of the book was my research um five percent was other people and the reason i say that is because there is a there is a time where you get to the book and it says historical landmarks throughout america that show some type of african-american history and a girl ended up putting together all the landmarks in a google doc on a sheet so you can literally just open up the sheet and it'll show you literally state by state mm -hmm. and it was all based off of the recommendations from a facebook group so like i use that and i just give you the link because i'm like listen i'm not gonna list all these i'm gonna give you the link right. and then when i got to brazil i can't speak portuguese so there was no way of me knowing if something is black owned i couldn't necessarily communicate to the owners like is this black owned and there was a lady who runs a, a, like black brazilian tours um that she was like oh i can help you with this so she gave me a list of things i'm super super grateful for that because that is the issue that i you know came up against right. It's been two years in the making. Um, it has been some Google. Um, it has been a lot of Facebook. And people might say, well, what do you mean? Well, there are Facebook groups out there. So there's brothers yes. and sisters of Kuwait. There's brothers and sisters of Taiwan. There's, there's black, black expats in Brazil, black expats in Colombia, black expats in Panama. So I just basically joined every single group that I could. And I inserted myself into these groups for about a year. I looked at the conversations. I checked it every day. You know, in the search tab, I would type in black owned just to see, you know, what right. was open and what was closed in what people were thinking about how hard it was to even own a business if the banks was giving black people loans to open businesses so I did it that way and then also because the algorithms on Instagram and Facebook are so good if you like a black nail lady who does nails in Scotland it's gonna show you another black lady who does nails in Scotland so I end up finding people that way also whether I friended you um, on Facebook or liked you on Facebook and friended you on Instagram that was another way of me doing it so it was a lot of research and then it was definitely some places that I've been but I haven't been to a lot of places um, I was telling somebody the other day, like as much as I travel, I was shocked to know I've only been in 21% of the world. And I'm thinking, dang, wow. I'm like, I've been like 30 countries, but that's only 21%, you know what I mean? I'm like, I haven't hit so much stuff, you know? I'm just like, wow. And I was like, I need to take this book and go ahead and do some of the things that I tell other people to do. So I'm excited about that, but I don't think people realize like, just because you've been to 50 states, that's only one country. You right. know what I mean? I never thought about putting it into a, a percentage perspective uh -huh. for some and reason. it's like, have you been to Africa? Yeah, but you've only been to two countries out of 54 right. in Africa. So, you know, it's, it's one of those. Um, and I just was like, dang, I ain't really been nowhere. Like, okay. But, <laughs> but yeah, my process has been about a two year long one. It wasn't easy for the simple fact that I didn't have motivation. Like mm. I would start and then I would stop like, man, this is taking too long. Like I would spend a day on one country. I could spend three days on one country. And I'm like, right. bro, this is not like, no. And then I got to a point where I was like, I really want to finish this green book, but I'm waiting on the right time. And I remember my best friend told me, he was like, he's like, you will know the exact time 
that you should release this. And I was like, I just don't feel like it's coming. And this is me saying that at the beginning of COVID, pre-George Floyd, right? right. And then unfortunate events happened to George Floyd. And I was like, oh no, the time is now. While everybody talking about celebrate mm -hmm. black culture, amplify black businesses. And after that, it was just, it was a done deal. It was a done deal. So now we're here <laughs> a few months later. And um, yeah, the green book is out now. Thank you so much for having me. Lovely to be here. I am Inky Creswell. I'm a wildlife filmmaker, marine biologist, underwater photographer person who spends the majority of my time chasing big sharks around the ocean. And I absolutely love it. And how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 27. So, um, yeah. But a I got into a marine <laughs> biologist, y'all. Like, hot degrees. <laughs> So how did you get into this? Because a lot of us fall into work, um, but I, I don't feel like you just fall into marine biology. So what was your inspiration? Strangely, I think I was one of the few people that kind of fell into it. I was uh, from a really young age, grew up by the ocean and my dad loves the ocean and he grew up watching Cousteau and was obsessive about it and just I think I was just brought into it from such a young age. His fascination with the ocean, just I was so attracted to it and just absolutely adored spending time in the sea. And I think the more time that I spent kind of exploring my local coastline, exploring the rock pools, the more questions I had. And I found that mm -hmm. I was just always searching for answers, trying to understand this amazing place. So I think um, I was one of the few people who was very lucky. And by the age of about five or six, I'd already decided I was going to be a marine biologist. <laughs> So for me, kind of my entire life has revolved around this ocean space. And um, I've been very fortunate that it's allowed me to go on some incredible expeditions and open some fantastic doors. So you said your local coastline. What's local for you? So Where I'm you from, from Brighton, the south coast okay. of England. So freezing cold water, pebble beaches, the kind that most people don't like to walk across. But um, I will happily swim there. I was swimming in it on New Year's Day in freezing cold water and gloves and a hat on and still love it. Jesus Christ. So wait, how far is that from London? Because that's low key. Uh, Super close. Okay. <laughs> so that's like a 45 really minute train ride outside of London. And okay. it's crazy to me because I have so many friends in London who are like, oh, yeah, I've never been in the sea. And I'm like, you live so close. You're practically a beach town. Thunk. I never would have thunk that London was close to the fucking ocean. <laughs> so what exactly do you do? What does a marine bio biologist do? Do you just walk across the beach and like see how close the tide comes in? Or do you are you always in the water? What is and you're not just a marine marine biologist like you've got titles. So what is an average day for you? Yeah. look like? What do you do? So I'm a little different. I actually don't technically work in marine science. I was one of the people who I went to university and studied marine biology, completely fell in love with the subject. And I think for me growing up, I was convinced that I was going to be the kind of the Jane Goodall type that gets to go and study behavior and just hang out all the time watching these species and understanding them. But I realized that that was a luxury we couldn't afford for the state of our oceans today. And unfortunately, conservation became the biggest drive in all of my work because I realized that I really need to be protecting these ecosystems more than trying to understand them. And obviously mm. understanding them plays a huge role in how we protect them. But I didn't feel like I could just focus on the behavioral sciences I'd imagined. And I needed okay. to be much more strategic with the way that I went about doing things. So it was when I was about 19, 20 that I started playing a lot more with underwater photography and filmmaking. And that was eventually kind of what drew me in was because I realized that through film and through photography, I could take other people into this amazing world with me. And when I finished university, I spent some time working as a research assistant, running around the world doing shark tagging, which was 
incredible. So that was kind of more of the typical marine biologist world where we would go out on expedition boats, sometimes like three days offshore with a load of um, modified spear guns, which are like these, it it looks like a a massive gun for underwater. And we would replace the darts with satellite tags. Mm. And a really good friend of mine, William, who's just the world's most fantastic free diver, literally won records and just an amazing diver he would free dive down next to these sharks and tag them. And then me and my friend Lucas would help with the biopsies and the sampling and um, all of that information would kind of get put together so that we could understand where these sharks were going and what they were doing so that we can protect them. So that was when I was working much more kind of in your typical marine biology world. But now I'm much more so on the filmmaking side of things. So I work with scientists all around the world and I try and understand their research to find out what new behaviors are being discovered, what new research is taking place, what big conservation discussions are going on and find ways to communicate their science to a much bigger audience, which I absolutely love. So you see how we got here, folks. This is why I was fucking excited for this one. So Running that back, I was raised on Shark Week. So when you said swimming next to the sharks, th- <laughs> this is this is where my fear. You know what it is? In fairness to me, I think that my fear of the ocean is because in general, I just fear the unknown. And I know that there is just so much of the ocean that we just don't get. We don't know. We don't understand. It's it's expansive. It's huge. And me, whose degree was not in science or any of the sciences, I did communications, which is basically liberal arts folks, but I, I don't know shit. And so of all the weird and not weird, but of all the exciting and fun things I've done in the water, I don't know what the fuck I'm jumping in with. All I know is that there are sharks here and I can get eaten by a shark. And I don't care if I'm in Miami and I can see my toes or if I'm in Guadalupe and I'm boobs high and I can still see my toes. I, in my head there's a shark and it's like not far and I'm gonna get got so were you ever afraid of being in the ocean have you ever had a close call with the shark like this I want to that I want to (laughs) know so um yes and and yes (laughs) so I think for me very much so exactly what scares you about the ocean is what I love about it I love the Mm. unknown I love that I never know what I'm gonna see I love that every single dive is different and that every time I put my put my head underwater in that world, I have no idea what to expect. And there's something absolutely fascinating for me about that. It's like exploring another planet over and over and over again. And some of the species you get to encounter down there just take your breath away. I mean, I've done night dives where the entire ocean lights up with bioluminescence and you feel like you're in space. And I've done dives where you have whale sharks hanging over your head or you get engulfed by reef fish. And it's those moments for me that like they are by far the best seconds of my life and I, I just want to live there I want to live in those moments and live in that unexpected and I think it's it's when something happens that I don't expect that it really feels special mm. um, but I was very lucky in the sense that because my dad also loves the ocean I remember being about probably about six or seven snorkeling with him and the sharks run past and his first reaction was he shouted at me and went swim faster you're gonna miss it and it was this like pure excitement (laughs) of just like come on like hurry up this is gonna be amazing and I think that when you're at that age and you're kind of your your mind is so open and you don't Mm -hmm. know what to be scared of yet yeah he kind of taught me that sharks are something that's exciting something that's beautiful and amazing to see and a privilege to see and um yeah I've been I've been chasing them ever since so it's been it's been a pretty wild ride but um 
for sure there's been moments that I think I've had to be careful and you've got to remember I think whenever I talk to people about sharks it's not that I want you to not fear them Mm -hmm. I think that they should be feared to a level um but I think it's more about learning to respect them like when I'm in the water it's kind of understanding you are an apex predator you have big teeth and you could definitely kill me if you wanted to like that's the reality of it sometimes but it's also understanding their behavior and them as a species and realistically they don't want to kill you we're not a part of their food that's not what they're there for so you once you kind of put things into perspective and actually start to look at the numbers you realize oh I'm not really at risk how I'm just interacting with a big animal in the same way you would with any other big animal you have to be respectful of that and you have to just learn to live in coexistence and when you can get to that point then you can start to appreciate the beauty of them and they are absolutely stunning to see them move through the water and the presence they demand is something really special I think I would shit myself in the ocean (laughs) I would absolutely like, but at the same time, I think that I might surprise myself. I think I might surprise myself. So I hope you guys enjoyed those clips. That was a little walk back through travel and shit history and a reminder that travel is so much more than vacation. There are so many different ways to discuss travel outside of here's where I went and this is what I did. What else? What about what you did? Why was it impactful? Tell me about your experience. Tell me how it has impacted you so that I can better decide whether or not this is something that I personally would be interested in. Um, I've absolutely done that with my past guests. And thank you again to Inca. Thank you again to Marty for gracing us here at Travel and Shit with your conversation and sharing of your passions with us. And thank you to everybody over the past almost five years who has taken time to sit, chat, chop it up with me, pour into me and pour into the listeners of the show. I really appreciate all of y'all so far. Don't forget, let me know how you want to celebrate five years. Please let me know what your favorite episode of Travel and Shit has been so far. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you guys and I can't wait to see where this goes in the future. Can't wait to talk to y'all about it next week. Bye.